the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome, welcome. Let's talk money, investing, and more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial with you. We could talk. I think one of the more interesting conversations right now is the conventions, right? Stocks hate uncertainty, and conventions sort of give you some certainty or some ideas. Um, They start by stoking a lot of questions and concerns. A lot of political bashing goes on. Oftentimes, where a political hopeful promises change i'm gonna change i mean silly 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 americans believing that i'm gonna reform (laughs) silly 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 americans believing that um these are things that investors you know don't necessarily want to hear because change and reform is not you know uncertainty it's not certainty it's uncertainty uh investors like stability and consistency so investors historically have been unnerved most by the Democrats' conventions. Uh, during the 17 Democratic conventions since 1948, the S&P 500 recorded a median decline of about two-tenths of a percent. Even a week after the Democratic conventions, the market was down one-quarter of a percent. And that's not a lot. It doesn't sound like it. But when the Republicans have their convention, they tended to be more positively received by investors. Stocks rose 67% of the time, following 18 Republican conventions since 1948. For median one quarter of one percent higher. If there's one thing that investors seem to agree on, it's a sense of relief when the convention season's over. No more. Michelle Obama shedding a crocodile tear last night. Call me cynical, but I am cynical, you know? So stocks basically gain after both conventions are over. So let the conventions end sooner than later. But do enjoy. If you're a Democrat, do enjoy this week because, uh, it's your moment to kind of shine, per se. So let's switch gears and take a look at the markets and, you know, see where we're at. Bernie Sanders spoke last night, Elizabeth Warren. Um, and obviously Elizabeth Warren would be not so good for banking stocks. Uh, good for the consumer. So uh, the markets are a little bit higher this morning. Nothing dramatic, but that kind of follows yesterday's nothing dramatic. 
Um, after a very bullish start to the month of July, things have cooled off a bit in the last couple of days. Very tentative start to the week. There's an overall lack of buying interest. Uh, volume has not been good this summer, or especially in July. And the VIX has been very, very tame. This is one of those weeks that could be held hostage by analysis by paralysis, considering nearly 200 S&P 500 companies are reporting their results. Both the Fed and the Bank of Japan are holding policy meetings. The advance estimate for the second quarter GDP is going to be released. And the European Banking Authority is going to publish the results of its own bank stress test. So a lot going on as the week gets into the, the meteor part. Caterpillar is causing some global consternation today. They topped earnings expectations, which, again, under promise over to deliver. But they noted that its 2016 sales and revenue is coming closer in on the bottom end of its prior guidance. Um, Dow component Caterpillar obviously is a big play on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, So Caterpillar said, quote, world economic growth remains subdued and it's not sufficient to drive improvement in most of the industries and markets we serve. So I think only thing that you have to get out of that is world economic growth remains subdued. So if you're a big international company, like Apple or Nike or Caterpillar or Texas Instruments or DuPont or McDonald's, world economic growth remaining subdued is a bad, 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 bad thing. It doesn't give you the ability to stretch your legs. So stretching your legs, there's one word you don't want to mix up because it's when you mix the metaphor, it means two very, very different things. Um, and I made that mistake once on the air. Um, spreading my wings, we can now talk about Texas Instruments, Las Vegas Sands, United Technologies, and DuPont. Uh, they had a pretty good quarter. So it's I'm not going to say it's mixed. It's It does seem that as we've gotten deeper into earnings season, we're deep into second week now. Uh, 200 S&P 500 companies are, are reporting. Um, we are seeing some losers. 3M cut its sales growth projection. Gilead Sciences is lowering its 2016 product sales guidance. Um, Gilead Sciences is an amazing tech company. It makes me almost want to start smoking and eating red meat uh, because they do good things for people who smoke and eat red meat. Uh, Under Armour is disappointing with its third quarter revenue and gross margin guidance. Freeport, McMoran, Copper and Gold, FCX, lowered its operating cash flow and announced a $1.5 billion common stock offering. So a lot of um, underperformers. So, And it's to be expected, again, because, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but seeing that I've never seen a dead horse world economic growth remains subdued. So you're going to see some weakness on big companies. Good news is McDonald's topped expectations. Ba-da-ba-ba-bop. Oh, we need that quarter pounder song or something. We need the Big Mac song or something to replace that at some point in time. Because in my dreams I hear ba-da-ba-ba-bop. So um, earnings expectations jumped 3.1%. Uh, earnings expectations were up, basically on global comparable sales, which reflected positive comparable sales in all segments. So the bad news for McDonald's was a slightly higher global comparable sales growth. Um, and McDonald's said it saw some softening in that industry group. So again, 
beating a dead horse. World economic growth remains subdued. Apple reports tonight after the close. I own shares of Apple. They will command a whole lot of attention because Apple is widely owned. Uh, the company has various supply chain relationships, and because Apple's stock has underperformed big time, declining 21% of the last year versus a 4.3% gain for the S&P 500. The markets are also going to digest some economic news, beginning with the S&P uh, Case-Shiller Index for May. Um, that just came out. And new home sales for June and consumer confidence report for July all hitting the wires right now, right here. Let's see if I can't pull one of those up. Home prices grew in May, but its pace is moderating. The Standard & Poor's Case-Shiller Home Index posted 5% annual growth in May, the same as in April. It marked the fourth straight month of a flat or falling home prices on an annual basis after a long string of increases. This is a sign that the housing market may be cooling in the wake of double-digit price appreciation between 2012 and 2014. Home prices in the index of 20 large city increased 5.2% compared to a year ago, down from 5.4% in April. Uh, the big winners, uh, they've been winners for a while. So uh, Portland, Seattle, Denver, uh, some front runners are starting to lose some steam. San Diego, San Francisco, L.A., Two hottest areas during the housing boom were Florida and the Southwest. Miami and Tampa have recovered in the last few months, while Las Vegas and Phoenix remain very, very weak. Um, New York City and Washington, D.C. are amongst the weakest areas in the country. So not all is super well and great. Consumer Conference held steady in the month of July. That's nice to see. Hey, i got a big event coming up Thursday evening. I'd love to see you out there. It's Income and Retirement Planning Seminar. Um, with CFP Chad Burton. He, you can sign up at robblackshow.com, the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar, um, which accounts draw from, some names that I hold, some Social Security benefits. Um, I sent out a newsletter earlier this week with one of the names that I hold in the income portfolio called United Health. You can learn more by signing up at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. phone number kind of like was meshing with the music 800-516-1220 if you ever want to pick up the phone and give us a call um anything you want to talk about we can talk about money investing and more the olympics are right around the corner um i guess the olympics to me used to, i used to think like nike and mcdonald's are getting a lot of exposure but now i'm like i wonder if terrorism is going to hit i wonder if this incredibly poor nation is going to be able to pull it off um, a lot of things like that are in my head. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but are you with me? 
800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online, newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. Let's talk a little asset allocation. It is two words put together that we know in the investment community. Some of us know it better, some of it more intimately. What's asset allocation mean to you, Chad? Well, first of all, let's, let's, let's talk about what it doesn't mean because I think it's a term that's really misunderstood. Okay. Um, a lot of people that start investing think asset allocation means that it's always being in the right asset class all the time and shifting from one asset class to another, which is really the same thing as, as day trading. Now, you want to do a little bit of that once you've accumulated a portfolio, overweight and underweight in different areas, including cash, which is an asset class. But really what asset allocation means is you're trying to build a portfolio to achieve a certain goal with the least amount of risk possible, knowing that you're going to be wrong sometimes, so you still continue to hold on to certain asset classes, um, like small cap, like emerging markets, which will have you know kind of a three steps forward, two steps back type of a process. And do you look at – some people would look at asset allocation, stocks, bonds, and real estate. Do you look at small caps and international like you just brought up? Do you look at that as a sub-asset class or is it a totally different asset? It's it's a it's an asset class. Okay. So I think that there's times like during the big part of the credit crisis, we steered clear of small caps altogether, for example, uh, because of the risk factors that were involved. But we didn't like doing that for too long, so we still own a, a piece of small cap, which started off 2012, for example, the first month with, with big gains, for example. You you just want to maintain a certain exposure to these asset classes, and, and there's more than just stocks, bonds, and real estate. Within stocks, you've got the large cap, mid cap, small cap, but you also have different management styles between value and growth or even just dividend growth investing. You also have uh, commodities that have to be a part of your portfolio as well, and there's a whole slew of alternative investments that people should be getting, you know, taking a look at and becoming educated on within the alternative asset class space. There's managed futures, which is another way to get into currency and commodities. Okay. There is funds that deal with merger and acquisitions. There's funds that deal with what's called kind of the buy right area, which is really covered calls. So it's a way to get into the market with creating income on, on, on different stocks. And there are tor- types of portfolios where if you're trying to find a spot where I don't want to be in cash, but I don't like where bonds are. I don't stocks maybe feel a little overvalued. You might look get into funds which hedge with the downside. There's funds out there that mirror the S and P 500. They sell covered calls to create some extra income, and they use that income to buy protective puts, which means you have upside exposure, but it's limited. Right. And in trade-off, you have limited downside risk as well. All of those are different pieces that go into asset allocation. The, the idea is that. Every year in the market, you have something that's doing good. So if if you're trying to compare your portfolio to just the S&P 500, and the S&P 500 has a roaring year because of tech and financials, for right. example, you're going to underperform a little bit in the good years. But you're going to outperform a lot in the bad years. That's what asset allocation is really about. Seven out of ten years are positive. Three out of ten is negative. It's a three out of ten makes a big difference. That's the math behind asset allocation. Before we get into that, um, comic books, asset asset or not? Um, is, as far as collectibles? Yeah. That's yeah, kind of where I'm I mean, getting at. It, it can be. There. I'm sure there's been some successful comic book collectors out there. Okay. And um, how about art? Do you look at art as an asset class for the wealthy, for the poor? Should people be buying it? Should they not? Yeah, for the wealthy because typically, you know, there's there are obviously some people that happen to purchase a painting 30 years ago that they didn't realize was going to be drastically. Um, but you got to be good at picking yeah. paintings. It's and not art, like being good at picking stocks and picking mutual funds. you got to be good at that, that unique skill as well. Right. And art, art went through a pretty big bubble. 
it, just like any asset class, it goes through bubble times. So it's correcting at this point in time. But typically, it's kind of one of those things where in order to be good at accumulating the art that's going to make you money in the long term, you've already got to have a lot of money. I'm with you. So and uh, the idea on that is they're not making, you know, if, if it's a dead artist, Leonardo is not making more art, so to speak. Uh, I could drop that conversation because I'm going nowhere with that. But let's talk about the math of asset allocations. What do we need to know? Well, it's really creating consistent returns because you, the first thing you have to look at is is the game of math. It's the downside that makes a big difference. So if you drop 50%, you have to get how much to break even? Uh, 100%. Right. I know that, so, but most people don't. So that's that's the thing. It's you know, you have to focus on on the ten year average return. Don't don't really look at the one and three year average return. It doesn't make as much difference. It's the ten year average return. So if you're trying to compare, let's say you're trying to go for a large cap growth manager, you make sure that the manager's been there for the entire term of the track record, ten plus years. You look at the standard deviation. So if you're comparing two funds, you would want the one with the best ten year average return, the lowest standard deviation, and the most consistency. Uh, and maybe even the lowest beta if you're trying to get to funds that are, are less less volatile as you get close to retirement. So standard deviation, beta, and the consistency of returns is, helps you you know understand the math behind asset allocation. Asset allocation and much, much more. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com or find his website, chadburton.com. And I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Meet CFP Chad Burton Thursday night at... The Burling game at the Double Tree by Hilton, talking 10 pillars of retirement income planning. It's Thursday night, the 28th. Um, I'll plug it a little bit more this week, and then I'm taking a month off from plugs because we're not doing anything in the month of uh, August. Everyone does back to school, and it's tough to get people together. Um, but 10 pillars of retirement income planning seminar, Double Tree by Hilton, Thursday night, 630 to 9. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. Chat will be on live uh, in about 30 minutes. Uh, plug in this event. It's five bucks. Um, and if you need free entry, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Uh, wine and cheese. So anyhow, and anyway, moving forward, some of the top stories out there today. Um, home prices in May uh, grew, but the pace is slowing. McDonald's missed profit forecast and sales disappointed. Global issues. McDonald's in the process of refranchising 4,000 restaurants by the end of 2018. Part of a plan to save $500 million in expenses. Um, globally, sales at existing locations grew by 3.1%, led in the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, Russia, and China. Um, overall, sales met analyst expectations. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, 49% of people would not marry someone with bad credit. So don't buy the rock if you don't have the rating. 34% of people say they would not date someone with bad credit. So put Tinder down if your score is not up to snuff. Just saying. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Big event Thursday night, 6.30 to 9. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Listening to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
Welcome in. Rob Black, your money. What I mean right now. Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. I start my morning every day by reading his material. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hello, Rob. I'm doing well. Thank you. Back from vacation. Uh, is Wall Street back from vacation, or is it still light volume and low volatility out there? Um, well, I'd say it is back from vacation, but it is still, uh, you're seeing some lower volume uh, more recently here. Um, you saw a pickup um, uh, in the wake of the, the Brexit vote, obviously, but uh, kind of as now we've set new highs and continue to challenge new highs. Uh, we've seen, I think, buyers back off somewhat, but really I think the low volume reflects more of an absence of sellers than it does really an absence of buyers because the market just kind of keeps holding in there. Uh, seemingly, um, uh, it doesn't matter you know, what the news is. <laughs> it could be bad news, but uh, you don't see it uh, turn down uh, sharply at all, or if it does you know, go down, you see a quick bounce back. So got a lot of... Um, interested sideline participants, uh, if you will, who are uh, seemingly in, uh, anxious to buy these dips, um, perhaps out of the fear of missing out on further gains. So we are in convention season. The Republicans wrapped up their convention. The markets moved up a little bit. The Democrats have started their convention, and historically, we tend to underperform during the Democratic conventions. Do you put any faith in this, or uh, is it, you know... Uh, voodoo. Yeah, I, you know, I quite honestly, I don't put a whole lot of faith in in th- those indications. Um, you know, the conventions are obviously just you know big pep rallies for the respective bases, and uh, and this year's conventions are obviously uh, kind of weird <laughs> the way they've been uh, unfolding the here. So uh, you don't necessarily have a whole lot of unity across either party base, uh, and so you're getting some some mixed messages. You know, out of those conventions, but uh, you know, the market right now, I think, as it looks at this presidential election, uh, uh, doesn't really know entirely what to think uh, and what the outcome will be. And so, uh, in spite of that, um, I think the market might be, you know, trading on other matters and, and trying its best to avoid what's going on in the political arena there, and trying to focus more, uh, or is focusing more anyway, on. Some of the same things it's been focusing on for so many years now, which is this idea that uh, no matter what happens, uh, if you get something bad, you're going to have some enduring policy support that kind of helps things from prevents things from getting worse. Uh, and if you have things that uh, develop in a positive way, um, you know, then that is translated into this view that you're going to see a nice, strong pickup in earnings and economic growth that validates the you know high valuation we see right now. So it's you know, the market's just kind of in this this very um, happy-go-lucky uh, environment at the moment, uh, and um, and it's you know causing a lot of consternation. I think on the part of fundamental uh, analysts such as myself, uh, as well as a lot of consternation amongst, uh, as I mentioned earlier, sideline participants who you know watch the market continue to trade higher, uh, in spite of some of the warnings and the. Um, uh, Acknowledgements from fundamental analysts that this market is sporting a stretch valuation, and that perhaps uh, audio just maybe, cut out on me. Um, can you hear me now? Hello, I'm here. Um, oh, sorry, Rob. Audio just cut out. No, no, no. So something went voodoo on us there, but that's okay. Yeah. So consternation, uh, consternation. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about earnings season. Is it is it giving you any relief? Yeah, you can say that there's some relief and that the results are coming in better than expected. Um, you know, but in the preview that I wrote uh, leading up to this reporting period, you know, I was careful to point out that you know better than expected does not necessarily mean uh, good. Um, you know, you have second quarter earnings that are still declining on a year-over-year basis. That'll be the fourth straight quarter that that's happened, uh, according to S&P Capital IQ. Um, but, you know, the market is is operating in the land of, you know, relative uh, expectations. And relative to what it was expecting, you know, going into the reporting period, it's finding, you know, something good in what it's hearing overall here. And, uh, and it continues to buy into the notion that the policy stimulus should help underpin an outlook that's going to invite stronger economic and earnings growth uh, in coming months. You know, it's, again, that's nothing new. We've been hearing that, and the market's been thinking that uh, for some time now. Uh, and it's continued to play out favorably uh, for those who embrace that notion. Uh, but I'm not necessarily overwhelmed by what I'm hearing out of the second quarter earnings reporting period, but, but I, you know, I guess I could say that I get why the market is trading higher right now because of it. Looks like oil prices have started to dip again. Is it a buy a second opportunity to buy low, or is it more of a sign of, of global slowdown creeping in and taking control and doom is coming and winter is coming, so to speak? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer, Rob. I mean, the, you know, the, okay. the, the data does suggest that you're, you're stuck with some excess supply here, um, both on you know oil inventories as well as gasoline inventories. Um, you know, there might be less demand here for um, uh, for oil in the interim as these refiners, you know, try to pare down these gasoline inventories. And um, and so in the near term here, you're obviously starting to see uh, how higher prices have encouraged increased production, and you're seeing that each, each week these days uh, with the higher rig count. Uh, and so, you know, you've got oil pulling back here. Um, it might be sort of just stuck in this rut uh, for you know, several more weeks here uh, as we get through the summer driving season. But, um, you know, I think a lot will ultimately depend. Is it a buying opportunity? It might depend on, you know, what happens here with the dollar. Um, if the dollar starts, you know, picking up again, uh, that's going to be a weight on oil prices. And it's also going to continue to be a weight on um on earnings growth uh, that probably is not being fully appreciated right now or is simply just being dismissed. Um, uh, so we have to watch that carefully in coming weeks. Other topics to talk about. Anything that you're working on currently that you typically have a big column that comes out on Friday, the big picture. Um, I always love that column uh, because it's super long, super informative, lots of data. Um, I would say it's more data-driven than opinion-driven, usually, more often than not. Anything that you're working on? Uh, no. Well, first, let me just say I'm glad to hear you say that because <laughs> briefing.com is basically oriented around providing objective analysis that's based on the data. So, okay. uh, and I hope I'm glad to hear that that is coming out in the articles you're reading from me. Um, but to that end, uh, I mean, this is a really interesting week, an important week. You've got a lot going on here on the Central Bank uh, Forum. Fed, the Bank of Japan are both meeting. Uh, this market has ridden high on this idea of policy stimulus, you know, helping to keep things propped up. And so I'm going to have to be watching that carefully this week and maybe writing something around that. And, uh, you know, may suggest even that Janet Yellen should, you know, go the way of, of Kevin Durant, you know, and do the thing that's unpopular. <laughs> but ultimately, uh, 
is a little bit selfish and uh, and go ahead and and raise rates not here in July but maybe in the near term and, and defy some of those expectations that the Fed's just going to sort of stay uh, stay stand pat here through the end of the year. You do know that you're calling into a show that's based in San Francisco, right? <laughs> I just do so know, you know. Yes. yes. We I, we we are very yeah. happy to have Kevin Durant come and win us a couple more championships. Hey, more, more power to you. <laughs> I'm just saying that he did the unpopular thing uh, in Oklahoma City, and uh, and as his dad advised him himself, that it was time for him to do something a little selfish. <laughs> okay, okay, just because he had Jordan for all those years. <laughs> Don't get snotty. Um, changing topics ever so slightly. Um, as we move out of earnings season into the back half of the year, we've got the elections, and like you said, maybe the Fed surprises us and raises interest rates, but not likely in an election cycle. Um, what else should we be looking for? Terrorism doesn't seem to be denting the markets like it used to, so there doesn't seem to be surprises there. Uh, what are you looking for in the back half? Right. Well, you have to look, I think, for the trade-off, Rob. It's like, is, do these expectations that earnings estimate trends and economic growth uh, pick up in earnest? You know, does that come to fruition? Um, you know, time and again here over the years, we see how you get these these high hopes, and they ultimately get dashed. You know, time and time again, as we fall back into this rut of below, uh, you know, average growth, and you know that could be a, a real inflection point here. Um, is that if you do in fact get you know the data to support, you know, uh, the U.S. economy in particular hitting escape velocity, and earnings growth estimates living up to these expectations, um, you know, then the market could settle in and, and, and do reasonably well. Uh, but that's going to be the, the the point that everyone needs to be focused on here um, to see if the market can essentially uh, continue to validate its stretch valuation here and uh, and how it reacts in the face of you know rising interest rates that might occur if in fact you get stronger economic and earnings growth in the back half of the year. Thanks for joining us, Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. I read his page one column every morning. Um, it's one of the first things that I read after I scan the New York Times and uh, other headlines out there. But his is the first kind of like fact-finding mission that I do on Wall Street. And uh, I made mention that I really like briefing in large part because it's it's a lot of based, lots based on facts. Um, whether it's IPOs and analysis that they do, whether it's the story stocks that they're looking into, um, whether it's the big picture or whether it's the, the columns. Um, and there's technical information abound in the briefing.com's website. So check it out. It's briefing.com, and Patrick is a great guest and uh, well-spirited to uh, give Golden State some flack for signing someone who wanted to come here um, and win some championships and probably up his endorsement money for quite a while. Uh, nothing like a winner. Winners sell lots of goods. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. You can find briefing at briefing.com. Don't forget there's a big seminar coming up Thursday. 28th in the Bay Area, Berlin game. It's income and retirement. You can sign up for it. It's five bucks. Sign up for it at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com.
Blackhawk.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thursday evening in Burlingame, just a couple days away, we have an event called the, what is it called, CFP, Chad Burton? The event Ten Pillars of Retirement Income Planning. Ten Pillars of, okay, you got it. You are correct. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, just to see if you're on your game. It's in Burlingame, right? It is. 6.30 to 9. You usually get there a little early and set up, and that's a good time to sneak in a question. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, these 10 key items. One of the 10 key items that you're going to discuss is Social Security law changes. Isn't that crazy? We live in a world where you contribute to a system in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and you kind of think you know what's going to happen in your 60s, but it changes. What's the big change this time? Well, yeah, and there's been several big ones through the 23 years that I've been doing this, but um, this was a change that was kind of started by an article in Forbes a couple of years ago that was pointed out the fact that in the past you used to be able to say if I was 66 years old, I can file and suspend, and just by filing and suspending where I don't take my payments, but I let them grow until 70, my spouse could file a restricted application and take income based on my benefit. And they closed the door on that. April 30th was the last time that somebody could file a restricted application. I'm sorry, a, um, a file, <laughs> the file and suspend. See, this is how confusing it is. The, the terms are very confusing because the term restricted application, what does that even mean, right? There, there is a way to still file a restricted application if you're over a certain age, but there's no more file and suspend strategies. But even though it's not quite as good as it used to be, Rob, you still have to very carefully plan your Social Security income. Um, it can mean somewhere between fifty dollars and $150,000 of extra income in retirement if one of you lives till your normal life expectancy um, in a married couple. So uh, it, it's, it's something that we use software for. And the, the software gives interesting results. I mean, sometimes we have, okay, one spouse waits until they're 70 to take income and the other one turns on at age 64. Um, so the, the numbers can be quite surprising. The calculations are really odd with Social Security. It kind of is uh, what some say a lumpy calculation. Um, there's even certain times where you don't want to even file based on specific ages um, because of the way the calculations work. So long story short, you got to be careful and you also have to plan that um, even if you're not very healthy, you might want to put off Social Security until you're 70 if you're the higher earner, so that when you pass, your spouse takes the higher paycheck. So big part of income planning when it's unfortunately a huge portion of most retirees' income. You know what's sad about all this? My what's father, um, he didn't really have any sort of plan going into retirement, even with like life insurance or Social Security. It was a member of the military, so he got a lovely pension, but he didn't have any plan. I'm kind of like it's dawning on me that I'm 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 lucky to be where I am today because I didn't learn a lot from him about retirement. But anyway, that's uh, off the record. Uh, big event Thursday night in Burlingame. You often use the term "turn on the tap." Um, I like you know, drawing one from the tap, but I'm thinking more like a nice fresh beer. What is turning on the tap versus withdrawing from accounts? 
Well, a lot of people just don't really get the concept of dividend and interest reinvestment, but it's happening all the time inside their 401k because in your 401k, you own mutual funds. And the mutual funds own individual stocks and bonds, and each of those pay either a dividend if it's a stock or interest if it's a bond. And you're paid typically on either monthly, quarterly, biannually on stocks, bonds, and funds, sometimes annually. And automatically inside funds, that interest in that dividend that gets reinvested. Well, in retirement, what you're trying to do is take income from your portfolios. The first step is to have that three years worth of portfolio draw in cash. And then your job is to feed it. There's two ways to feed it. One is you turn on the tap. You Instead of having those dividends and interest reinvested, you have it sent to your checking account. And that way it you have a certain amount of income. And if you're setting your portfolio right in retirement, depending on your risk tolerance, how aggressive or conservative you are, somewhere between 28 and 3.8% income, that's going to happen no matter what the stock market is doing. So you take that income instead of reinvesting it because you need it to live. And then when the stock market is good and you have a quarter where there's capital growth, in other words, the share price of the stock or mutual fund went up, you trim enough of that to replace the cash that you spend that was over and above your dividends and interest. So it's a process of turning on the tap and rebalancing to get the right type of mix in retirement. Interesting, because uh, like I said, this is pretty overwhelming stuff, but I think you do a nice job of making humanizing it. If you were lucky enough to have more money than you need in retirement, which is pretty pretty well off, that's a great place to be, but you have a high risk tolerance, how would you invest? So I had a ton of money. In other words, if I looked at that and I said, okay, I have a ton of money, I would look at it and say, okay, I could invest in dividend achiever stocks, and I wouldn't even need all of the income being produced. So a good dividend achiever portfolio, companies of stocks that are still growing. So the companies are still trying to grow and expand, and they have a dividend of maybe you know one and a half to two and a half percent, but that dividend has a, a history of growing by ten percent a year on average. Um, that's kind of what I would focus on is dividend achiever stocks. I'd still have my three to five years worth of income needs in cash. And then I would invest the majority of it in stocks because I know that I don't need any of the principal for, you know, probably 15, 20 years with, because of inflation. So I can just live off of a portion of the dividends and let those stocks ride. That's how I would do it. Knowing that markets have corrections of 15 to 20% every five to seven years. And uh, that's okay, because you've got plenty of dividends being paid, regardless of what the share prices are doing. Well, let's talk about, I'd like to flesh that one out a little bit more with you, because I'd like some preferred and some other things in there. But we could talk about that uh, Thursday night at the big event. You can meet CFP Chad Burton, 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar in Burlingame, Doubletree Hotel, uh, Doubletree by Hilton. Um, it's 835 Airport Boulevard. You can sign up at 630 to 9. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.